Photography is a journey in and of itself, from the thought of when you first picked up your camera to when you got your first paid project. Those certain points in life, they may have felt like your peak at that time. And that is until the next big event came along. As a photographer, the creative summit can never be completely reached, as it's a continual process of growth. As a team of designers who intend to promote creative freedom for storytellers everywhere, Polar Pro has recently engineered a brand new product into their flagship lineup. They are a company who specializes in everything filter-related and decided to bring their expertise into innovating a new landscape filter system called Summit. Summit provides a direct path to success in reaching your next peak as it aids in creating meticulous long exposures, time lapses, and sprawling landscape compositions. Summit is not only a tool to help you reach your next peak, but it also represents a symbol that you have made it there as it is intended for the use of a professional landscape photographers. So check out their website, polarprofilters.com, to learn more. You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm your host, Brent Bergherm, and... Joining me today is we have a special guest, Levi Sim. It's great to have you here, Levi. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. And so tell me a little bit about what you've been up to lately. Oh, man, it's fall. So, you know, for most photographers making, um, you know, making money at it, fall is a busy time. There's holiday pictures and, and all kinds of things. And, and then it's also, there's a, there's a bunch of shows. So I, I just got back from Photo Plus not Expo in New York. It used to be called Photo Plus Expo. Okay. Now it's just called Photo Plus. And uh and it was it was a it was a lot of fun. A lot of nice. photographers there. Give give me give me one takeaway of of what Photo Plus was why it was just you know what what was so awesome about it for you. Oh man, there were I think there were more people there this year. Okay. And they made they changed things so that the the registration was actually free. Nice. And so there were there were a lot of people, a lot more people able to come. Um, now I don't know if the, you know if free works as a business model for a for a conference or not, but it was it was sure a fun year this time. So there are a lot of folks. We had a good photo walk. We went up in this thing called the Vessel. Yeah, which, I've heard about that. Yeah, it looks like a big hunk of shawarma <laughs> sitting up. <laughs> uh, it's a it's this this uh, the cylinder of stairs that that tapers down at the bottom and becomes larger at the top. And it's just a, like a honeycomb made of stairs and you just go up and you walk across and you go up and you go up and around and, and, uh, it's shiny and, but you get a, a cool view. Like anytime you're in a city and you can get up like high and it's, it's probably, I don't know, eight or 10 stories tall, like maybe taller. And, uh, and so you get this view on par with a lot of the city and that's, that's really a lot of fun. What what about you, Brent? What's going on in in your life? It continues to just everything seems flying at a, a million miles an hour sometimes. Uh, but one thing I do have uh, going on in the uh, springtime, I've I've got on my website now. I've got the shoot and print workshop in the Palouse area. So the beautiful yeah. rolling hills of the Palouse. We're gonna go and learn the printing process there in the Palouse, and I do have a an early bird special that ends on Black Friday. So if that's something you're interested in, 
take a look at my website, just my name, brentbergram.com, and you'll get all the details there. And then I'm also working on, I actually just, because a few, well, we're coming up on a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, you actually uh, provided me a printer, right? I'm sure <laughs> you remember that. I um, did, I do. <laughs> a, a Pixma Pro 10. And so now I've got two printers. So that's just going to be awesome. But I'm actually using this now for my box set of images. I've been inspired. I've been wanting to do this for quite a long time. It's finally like, you know what? I just got to finally make this happen. I just, yeah. I keep sitting around on, on some of these project ideas and I never do anything about it. And so I'm finally um, getting off my keister and doing something about it. So I'm making a box set of 2019 images, the best of, you know, basically what does 2019, how is that defined for me as a photographer? And so I'm going through that whole process. I talked about it a lot on my most recent episode of Latitude Photography Podcast, and I'll be addressing it again uh, with the episode that I released this Sunday, uh, as far as now I'm going through the printing process and I'm going through the final selection process kind of thing. And it's not going to be completely done until I go to Alaska. So after I go to Alaska, I'll then have one more look through and, and just kind of see exactly how that's going to shake out for me. Do I add some? Do I swap some out? You know, what? how is that going to happen? But I'm hoping to have 15 or less images that are just like hopefully top-notch images and they're all coming out as black and whites. So uh, I kind of figured that was going to be a thing too, because at the beginning of the year, I was like, you know, I really want to focus on some black and white. And basically I did. And so that's what's coming out. So uh, look forward to finally releasing, releasing that collection uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's that's that sounds really cool to me. Um, and I think like you invited me to join you on this Alaska trip to a minuscule island in the middle of December. That's and right. That's that's less intriguing than the Palouse in the spring, I got to tell you. <laughs> well, yeah, when I called up and they were like, this is the weirdest weather she's ever seen, the, the lady at the at the uh, visitor center, I was like, yes, you know, a little bell on the back of my head, ding, 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 this is awesome. So, and then they had an accident there and I was not sure I was going to be able to go because all the commercial flights have just been upended. And literally a couple of days ago, I got the email from Alaska Airlines saying, we've got you confirmed. The The schedule is slightly different, but here you go. So I'm still wow. getting in on the day I wanted to get in originally, still getting out on the original day I wanted to get out. So as long as nothing else drastic happens, things are still a go. Right on. Right on. Well, I'm I'm excited. And honestly, I would love to join you for that. I just It just doesn't work into my schedule this year. But um, I think that that's the kind of adventure that more people need to have. <laughs> well, you know, another thing I'm looking at is this summer, the national park system does uh, resident mm, yeah. artists in the park. Yeah. And I'm looking at doing that too. So you, you might be looking at like three summers from now. <laughs> well, there's some really unpopular parks. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, that's <laughs> so, true too. So that's I'm going to go for also, those first. Also, many state parks have uh, artists and residents programs. Oh, yeah? oh, cool. So yeah, there's there's actually a lot of options out there for that. I'm I'm really intrigued by that one too. Because because there's one in Hawaii at the volcanoes, and it comes with a house, a four bedroom house, and a two thousand dollar stipend. I was like, yeah, <laughs> but I'm so sure. I mean, the the process to get that, I just nobody wants to go there. So. <laughs> anyway, let's let's move on with our show today. There's one more thing we need to mention before we get too much further along, and that is we've got a quick 
one question survey for the listeners. We want to know what software you use to primarily edit your photos. Maybe it's Lightroom, maybe it's Photoshop, maybe it's On One or Luminar or Affinity. There's so many good options out there. And we just want to know because certainly most of us here on the podcast are users of the uh, Adobe system kind of a thing. And I forgot Capture One too. That's another popular one there too. And we just want to know what you guys use. Several hundred have already answered, and that's awesome. We certainly thank you. We're going to look to run this just another couple of weeks because we still only have less than 1% of the listeners answering this survey. And so you can find a link in the show notes, and it'll take you directly to this Google form. And you just fill out that pretty quick survey, and, and that would really help us a lot. We really appreciate that. So our main topic, Levi, is outdoor portraits. And, yeah. you know, I'm super big into the travel outdoor genre of photography. And sometimes that will involve shooting, photographing, I should say, people <laughs> in various places, whether I'm in, you know, India, Hong Kong, South America, wherever, it doesn't matter. I also like to dabble in the occasional portrait here at home, too. Usually it's just family portraits, though. I don't really, uh, I, I don't ever consider myself as a portrait photographer or anything like that. So that's why I wanted to bring you in on this conversation, because this has been an idea that I've had for a little while to, you know, I'd really like to talk about outdoor portraits. And I'm glad you're here with us. So I just wanted to um, get your ideas and help, you know, help us uh, basically help me help the listeners walk through this idea of outdoor portraits. So what do you say? Super. Sounds like fun. That's that's something I love to practice and, um, and, you know, make about a quarter of my living doing. All right. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, and these might also be considered environmental portraits. Uh, you know, there's different terminologies that might go around. So I've I've got got some ideas on that. I've got some ideas on that. Yeah. Cool. And so I've got a few scenarios that I've, uh, you know, typed up in our show notes here. And then I also went and asked our listeners for some specific items that they might want to make sure we address. So at the end, we'll address those listener items as well. And I want you, Levi, to assume that I just don't know anything about this subject because really I want to just kind of recalibrate or reset, you know, the way I approach it myself as well anyway. So I'm going to kind of just take the, the the new person's approach on this. And a pro- professional like yourself, making at least a quarter of your living off of this type of thing, I was like, and I know you're going to be the right person to, to get the job done here. So <laughs> let's dive in. Item number one in that, oh, we should also assume that I want to use, for the most part, at least one light in all of these shots. So one flash sure. in all these shots. So item number one, a basic headshot outdoors using one light. What should we look for when setting up a basic head and shoulders type headshot? So I I guess I just view this as one of the most simple or also one of the most popular types of portraits we might want to be able to do. But if we're zoomed in so far, we're probably not getting too much of that environment. But, you know, what can we do to properly do, if you will, a headshot outdoors? Yeah. Now, a headshot is an interesting kind of of environmental portrait. Um, because if you include environment, it says something about the person. Yeah. Uh, if, if it's, if it's a, a gray backdrop, it, it doesn't matter. But if it's a, a pine tree in the background and it's a lawyer, maybe, maybe it doesn't really have anything to do with it. Maybe it's just a, a blurry pine tree in the background and, and that's fine. 
Um, but you know, maybe a lawyer has books in the background instead in, in his office. Um, and so for, for an outdoor sort of thing, I do want to consider a little bit what the background is, is saying about the person I'm photographing. If it's a, if it's a lawyer, for instance, we'll probably do it at the office outside. Um, and I'm, I'm imagining like a brick building or a, or a stone building or something with, and somewhere around there, there's going to be a corner or, uh, something where there's some, some depth. Sure. And when I'm looking for a background, I'm looking for something far away because I don't want it to be distracting detail. So, and when I say far away, at least 10 feet b- behind my subject and hopefully not flat behind my subject so that there's again, some depth. So if we're using a brick wall, don't stand the person straight in front of the brick wall and shoot parallel to the brick wall. Instead, stand next to the brick wall and photograph down the brick wall with, with the background tapering away behind. And it feels, it just feels deeper and it feels more, um, more well composed and things. Okay. And then how do we handle the light? So we've got the idea of setting it up. So we have the sense of, of uh, maybe a sense of movement, a sense of leading lines are happening because what you're doing with how you're positioning the model versus the, in this case, the brick building. And we've got those lines that are, you know, suggested to be moving away because they, let's face it, they're, they're hopefully a little bit out of focus, uh, but right. we still can get that feel for that tapering off and they get that, that movement with those lines. But what do we do with the light in that yeah. case? The, the light is, is the most important thing. Now let's do it two ways. Um, let's do one with a flash and one without a flash. Okay. And let's assume daytime for both of them. <laughs> sure. Oh yes, uh, please. <laughs> and so for, with the flash, I, I want to use a soft box or an umbrella. An umbrella is inexpensive and I don't mean a, a reflective umbrella where you, where you have the convex side of the, no concave side of the umbrella facing your subject. I want to shoot the the flash into the umbrella and have the light come through the umbrella to my subject. So a, a shoot through umbrella, a white one. All right. And so it's a translucent material then. Exactly. That right. really softens it. And it kind of sort of treats it then like a soft box where the light is behind the material and it's shooting through that material. Exactly. My favorites are from Paul C. Buff and from uh, David Zeiser. If you can get your hands on the Zumbrella from David oh. Zeiser, it's okay. the... It's the best compact umbrella. It's a 42-inch collapsible, and it collapses very small. And um, it used to be about 40 bucks. I haven't haven't seen one in a little while. But if you can find the Zumbrella from David Zeiser and Westcott, it's really good. If not, then um, then I like the the Paul C. Buff umbrellas, and they come in various sizes. And we'll talk more about those in a in a few items down as well. All right. Uh, but they're they're very they're very translucent. You don't want to, you want to try not to get the one that's got a, um, like a, there's like a satin silver lining on the inside of the umbrella Sure. and it's not as transmissive. There's not as much light going through it. And so you lose a lot of power as that light is reflected back out of the umbrella. And I I like the umbrellas because they're very, very forgiving. Um, it's got a, it's got more shape to the light. Like it's, it's not just a flat surface, like a soft box or or an octobox is, and it gives you. It gives you light in more places all at once, and it's very easy to make a good portrait using it. Um, so and, let's and they use tend that. to be more affordable, don't they? 
Yeah, under thirty dollars C- like compared you, to you some can, of these Octaboxes or Softboxes. Over a hundred bucks. Some of those get pretty expensive. Yeah, like if I would really like to buy the Mag, like if I was gonna, if you're gonna buy one, don't buy anything until you can buy the Magmod. Okay, <laughs> Softbox. That's my opinion. It is phenomenal. And it is worth every penny, but it's, I believe it's over 200 bucks. Oh my. Uh, but it is, it is really terrific and gives, gives you a few more options. And so, um, with that on the market, I would buy that or a $20 umbrella. Sure. <laughs> there's, there's just almost nothing in between. There's plenty of things in between and we'll talk about that another show, but okay, <laughs> let's start with one light and a, and a little umbrella and, um, I'm going to stand where I think I want my subject and I'm going to turn around 360 degrees and look for the thing that makes me squint. Okay. I don't want that thing that makes me squint in my subject's eyes because it's oh. going to make him squint. Okay. And and maybe it's a maybe there's a um a FedEx truck parked on the street and the sun is reflecting off its windshield and that thing is just bright. Um and I don't want it right in the background of the photo because then I've got this shiny bright thing distracting from my subject's face. So that's that's one reason to to find the shiny thing. The other thing is that maybe it's the um, maybe there's maybe we're kind of in an alley and we're standing on the shady side, but the sun is shining on the wall to my left over there and it is really bright. Well, that's actually great as a backlight. Right. Or, or even as a front light, depending. But so I want to find that shiny thing, that brightest thing in the in my environment, and use that as the backlight. Okay. So that I've got I've got some definition and shape from the reflection of that light off my subject's cheek or hair, and um, and it's very nice to have the front light contrasting the backlight. So our front light is going to be that umbrella, and let's say. Um, I put my umbrella on my left and my subject is, is straight in front of me. I want that bright spot to be on my right in the back. Usually opposing the front light looks more balanced. Okay. If we, uh, if we have them both on the same side, it just feels a little unbalanced, All right. a little bit too left heavy. So, so usually put the, the, that backlight opposite to the front light and, um, and then well, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a, a not too distracting background and and a, a way to get a, a good backlight that I can balance with my front light. Now, if if it's noon and the sun is very high and shining down on my subject, I'm looking out for the light shining on the nose and and like the head and not shining in the eyes. The the worst thing is to have a little bit of sunlight on the face. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just you can't deal with it in in post. It's not worth it. There's so many other ways to make a picture that you don't need to worry about. You you should not be considering what you can do to fix this in Photoshop. Okay. Because there's so many other options. Stand in the shade or um or just just move, go find a, a shadier spot or wait 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> and, and the sun will be a little bit a uh, little bit lower too. So like moving, so basically find a tree or some other overhang that yeah. will give us a shaded area. And that's, that's the one thing I'm always looking for is a porch. Okay. Something that is covered overhead and open on the sides. 
because then I don't get the problem of the of the sun shining straight down on my subject, but I do get the light shining in from the sky on the sides or reflecting off the building on the sides. Yeah. And that side light is so much more flattering on everybody than any kind of overhead light. Well, and I can so. see it too. If you have someone under an overhang or so of some sort, maybe you've got a, like a concrete sidewalk right there too. It might just yep. literally be reflecting off that, that gray concrete sidewalk. And that's going to bring a little bit of light underneath as well, right? And that can help to fill in some of the shadows that might be underneath the chin or or underneath the nose, something like that. But you're not going to have that many shadows anyway, again, because they're already shaded from above, right? Yeah, they're shaded from above, and and we're using that umbrella on the front. And we want we want to balance our umbrella light with the with the daylight, so that the the shadows aren't too strong anyway. And the way I would do that is I would set up the camera without the flash, and make everything else except my person's face look pretty good, which means choosing the aperture for creative reasons and then choosing the shutter speed and ISO together to brighten or darken the background so that it's under control and and looking good and then add my flash the last thing so that it's totally empirical. You know, you're controlling each, each bit of light and effect individually that way. If you turn on the light and and try to balance everything while while the flash is going, it's too many uh, pieces of information all at once, and you, yeah. you can't isolate the problems. Yeah. So you're talking about building in exactly. these different ideas. So here we we find our location in which we wish to shoot, and we have these different criteria. It's it's in a shaded area. Uh, it might have some reflected light coming back in from like you had mentioned, you know, reflecting off a window, reflecting off a vehicle whatever it might be reflecting off of, we have some rather indirect light coming in. And so you get your exposure according to the environment, how you want to register the environment, and then you bring in your flash and you then focus on your person for how you want to record the person. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Cool. And so I'm always looking for a porch or you know, we love windows, but, but we're outside, so we're not going to, we're not going to have a window. But the thing we like about the window is the same thing we like about a porch or a garage. Yeah. Garage is awesome as well for the same reason. You've got cover overhead and light coming in from one direction. Um, and when I say garage, it might be a house, but it might also be, you know, just a, a covered opening on a building. It could be a parking garage is a really great place to make portraits like a, a downtown parking structure. Um, and then also alleys are, a, are a modified porch. As long as the sun isn't shining straight down overhead, you've got a, you've got a time. Most of the time the sun is not shining straight down into that alley, right. but you've got the light coming in from the end of the alley and you've got a little glow coming down from the sky above. And so that can be a, a powerful place to make a picture too. Yeah, and there's got to be many, you know, I think of my town because, of course, that's just, you know, two miles away. But uh, in our downtown area, it's a very historic downtown. And yeah. I imagine those are throughout the world, really, where you have these right. older, more maybe rustic type locations. To me, that's something I'm drawn to. But maybe you need something a little more slick, a little more, you know, not so feeling of rusticness and, and whatnot. And I'm sure you can find that, too. So it's about searching out, finding those locations that you would want to try it, and then start building these pieces in, like you've just mentioned about thinking about your light, thinking about your subject, and now bring the light on the subject and and go from there. 
Yeah, definitely. And cool. and there's there's always there's always a good spot in a in a downtown, no matter how big your town is. In you know, I've been in towns of two hundred people, and sure <laughs> enough, there's a post office, and it's got a porch, <laughs> right. and and it'll work great. Now, can I can I do one more? That, okay where we're not using a flash okay, and, and there is no porch. And so what you do is you use your $30 five in one reflector okay, and you pull off the reflector part and use the one, the, uh, the translucent scrim, the diffuser material that comes in the center of your reflector. And you just stand in full sunlight and hold this thing up. And the, the best one, if you don't own one, buy one, that's an oval about 40 inches by 60 inches. And the the oval is great because when you're holding it, you're blocking part of the material. And so having the oval gives you a longer piece that you can hold out over your subject. Yeah, great and, reach. Uh, without, yeah, it gives you reach without blocking it. Whereas the circles, like a 43-inch circular reflector is ubiquitous, but my least favorite tool to use because... I have to stand really close to the person and I cover half of it with my body half the time. You know, my head yeah. sticking up is, yeah. is covering most of the, most of the diffuser. So if you've got an oval, it's perfect. If not, you can, of course you can still use a round one. Um, but you, you put the diffuser between your subject and the sun. And so now this diffuser is a soft box. It's, it's enlarging the size of the sun and making a very soft and very beautiful light. And it's a flat surface. And so even at noon, you can actually tilt the diffuser and change the direction of light coming through it because you're, you're still collecting all the sunlight in it. And so when you tilt it, as long as your subject is still shaded by it, then, um, you're changing the direction that that light is coming from. And so you can actually tilt it quite a lot and get a 45 degree angle instead of a straight up 90 degree angle on the sunlight. The key to using it is that you need to get your subject as close to it as possible without being in the light, uh, or excuse me, without the diffuser being in the frame. Um, and I, I actually usually have it in the frame, but it's in the corner where the sky is and I can, I can, uh, touch it out with in Lightroom. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's my favorite tool. And, um, I like, I, I have a impact one. I got at BNH that's a 40 by 60. And I've also, my first one I ever got was like a 50 by 72 inch. That was the first reflector I ever bought. When I bought it on Amazon, it was the same price as the round one. So I was like, Hey, why not get the big one? Well, Absolutely. it was big and it was, it was a little hard to handle, but man, I missed that thing. I wish I hadn't sold it when I, when I moved to Oregon. So, um, that way you can stand in, in broad sunlight and make great light on a subject. The key to it is that your, the, the background should be shaded that yeah. way your subject can stand out from the foreground. Cause when you diffuse the light, you're making it darker. There's going to be less light on your subject than there is on the background if it's in full sunlight. And so you'll struggle with um, a very bright background. Um, one other tool that would be really useful, and I know many of you already own a polarizer, using a polarizer for your outdoor portraits is also really powerful because you remove a lot of those reflections and shiny spots in the background by polarizing the foliage. And any 
anytime you use a polarizer on green leaves, they're greener because they're actually reflecting a lot of skylight, especially on cloudy days. You'll see that the leaves are reflecting the the white sky more than they're actually showing green. Yeah, and because the moisture polarizer. on the leaves themselves and yeah, or the waxy coating. Yeah, and and so cool. they're they're just reflecting the sky more than showing their greenness. And yeah. it also helps with with shine on people's faces, surprisingly. So cool. Use the polar use the polarizer. So is that. How- that too ramblesome or does that is that helpful? Oh, I, th- I think it's helpful. <laughs> Lots of different ways of looking at it. And I think that's kind of the point. There's just so much to look at and trying to boil it down to what's important to us. And I've put a few of these items that you're talking about in the show notes. So uh, when we're looking at these five-in-one diffusers and whatnot, I've put a few options there in the show notes as links. So Perfect. folks can uh, look at that and click on those if there's any interest in, the, in what they want to look for and, and what might work for them. How does your approach change when you're doing a three-quarter or a full-body portrait and we're looking at a single person? I'm thinking maybe your typical senior photo here, maybe they're out in a field, could be a football field, a cornfield, or whatever. How do we position the light? How do we position the person for the the best results of, of what we're trying to do? And really what we're trying to do is showcase this person in the best possible way possible. So uh, how do we how do we approach that? You know, and we're looking at one person right now, but we're not thinking about covering them with a porch or anything like that. We want them out in their in their place, so to speak. Yeah, and and I'm glad you pointed out that we're trying to show off this person. That is the most important thing. the The cornfield, the football, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's like I don't I don't know why we stand a a young woman in a cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> in a in a pretty dress, it doesn't make sense. It's it's not her environment clearly in that clothing, um, but it's you know it's a beautiful natural environment with a beautiful person, and they they do complement each other that way, uh, somewhat yeah. facetiously. But like, y- yeah, let's move on from the from I don't know how it became a trope, but it's it's a total trope. <laughs> Well then, how what what is your what what's your advice? What can we do to make that feel more yeah. more yeah. purposeful, more meaningful, more like it should be, kind of a thing? Well, so I mean, yeah, if it, if it's a football player standing in a football field, that's that's fine. It's I mean, it's super easy, and I'd I'd like to find something that shines a little more um, light on on that personality. Maybe it's a I mean, maybe, maybe the person is a farmer and, and the field makes a lot of sense that way. Um, but finding when I, when I want to do a, a, a character portrait, an environmental portrait that says something about a person, I want to do it as much as possible in a place or with things that represent that person. And they may be, it may be a place or it may be props, or it, it may just be their clothing. Like I was just thinking of this guy I photographed. He's, a, he's actually a friend, my, my friend Sam Crump. And he he's always like, he's always wearing this leather jacket and scarves. Huh. And, and so any photograph you ever make of Sam should be in a leather jacket and scarves because that's like his environment and he carries it with him all the time. And this is like who he is. And he's probably got a coffee cup in his hand. And... <laughs> And like, it doesn't matter where I stick that guy, as long as he's got those three things, he's, he's going to look like himself and and he'll be recognized as himself, you know? Um, so I don't know, how do, how do we make the, the field more important? 
Well, uh, how do we make the person? But we can certainly make it more lit well and things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's what I want to focus on. You know, if someone, let's say we've got a client and it's a senior photo, and the yeah. mom or the dad or whoever, they're just looking at it and saying, "Well, we really love." We've we've got this um, this fence that we want to have her photographed against or have our son photographed next to or whatever the case is. So they're kind of putting limitations on you already. They have a certain right. vision, right? Yes. And so then what's your approach to to working with that, to deliver them what they want, but also to maximize your creativity and maximize your influence on the whole scene too, balancing yeah. that out and then certainly getting into that technical what are the lighting things we're looking at again? How do we set up these lights? And if you want to use more than one light, I guess we can get into that. But uh, I still would like to say, let's keep it simple. Let's do one light here. What do we do? Yeah. Um, and you should you should definitely appeal to mom's vision every time you make a picture. <laughs> and it'll help you be a better photographer too. Because, yeah, sure. Because constraints are the best thing. Like if you said, I had to photograph this person in a cornfield... And you have to do it at this time of day and you've got 20 minutes to do it. I am going to come to life with great ideas. If you said you can photograph this person anywhere you want and you have three weeks to do it and, you know, no limitations whatsoever, eh, I'm probably going to make a boring picture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, give me limitations every time. Um, So like we like we talked about with the with the lawyer downtown, use use leading lines, use your backdrop as effectively as you can. Um, if it's a, if it's, let's say it's a grassy field and, and it, you know, knee high grass, do high, do low. Um, put, now, put what, do, what do you mean by high, that? Do high, do low. low. Yeah. Let's, let's do a standing picture. Let's do a sitting picture okay. in the grass. Okay. Let's okay. do a twirling picture. Let's do me laying down low. Let's do me up high. Um, like, like the camera down low and the camera up high. Um, just changing your perspective can, can make quite a difference. Um, especially if like, if the sky is bland, you know, then then include less sky in your photograph. Okay. Um, but let's talk about the light. It's got you. You just got to do it later or earlier in the day when when the sun is not directly overhead. If if we're doing more body, then we've got the, then the camera is typically going to be farther away. And the the more the more body I put in the picture, I typically zoom in even more. And step back farther because that reduces the size of the background. If I use a a 50 millimeter lens and, and I'm doing a a full body portrait, there's, there's no place for my light stand because it'll be in the picture. And there's no place for somebody to help me hold a, a diffuser because they'll be in the photograph. Whereas if I, if I make the same framing of the person but use a long lens to do it. I can stand back farther and crop the it's it's not cropping. It's just that when you zoom in on your subject, you also zoom in on the background and you have less field of view. You've got a, a, a narrower view of the whole world. And so um I can shoot a three quarters length picture and my subject or my assistant can still be standing eight inches away from my subject's head. And right. They're kind of close to the them, picture. aren't they? Right. Right. Which gives me a lot of ability when I'm making when I need to light because I can now have the light in the place, and so same thing. My sun is the back is the backlight and my flash is the front light, or maybe not a flash. Maybe 
better than a flash whenever possible would be a reflector because you can see that light and you can you can shape it and position it exactly how you want to get the right shadows and and uh, highlights on a person's face and so a, a white reflector never ever never times a million trillion ever <laughs> a gold reflector we we have an opinion coming out here i think it seems to me <laughs> <laughs> every reflector company makes reflectors wrong they put <laughs> they put white and gold on on the, on the same side so that when you zip it over your the the center holder that white and gold are available and they put silver and black available and those are those are the wrong combinations they should put white and black together because right. those are the two you should use the most and they should put silver and gold together because uh just in case you need to cook hot dogs you can <laughs> set up a radiant oven with them <laughs> now there's always going to be exceptions to the rule <laughs> uh yes if you're shooting trashy swimsuit calendars you can use the gold <laughs> reflector <laughs> now i have a really nice onion shot not a person <laughs> onions in a field wide angle super close in and then i use my water bottle to wet the ground around it because i didn't like the dry nice. dirt around it nice yeah. and then i really stopped down and the sun was literally just going over the horizon so it was just around sunset yeah. and i needed yeah. to light it up so i then used my gold reflector to to just bring in that warmth i needed but it was also an 8 8 second exposure and so i just rocked that <laughs> gold reflector back and forth from nice. one side to the other of the frame and it gave this really soft golden glow and it was just gorgeous. Now you couldn't do that with a person because a person's not going to stand still yeah. for eight seconds, but yeah. there are those rare exceptions to the rule. I'm just saying for that gold <laughs> okay, reflector. My, my, my opinion is open on using gold reflectors on onions. I, I will, <laughs> I will reserve judgment. Especially when that <laughs> onion is the state vegetable of Washington state. Uh, anyway. That's right. That's right there. <laughs> and just like right by me, there are something like 3 billion onions grown every okay. year in Idaho. Yeah. And that's not even including the Washington side and the, and the Oregon side. It's incredible. Wow. Um, Idaho is supposed to be known for potatoes. Well, South, Southeast Idaho is more potatoes and Southwest Idaho is more onions and beets. Oh so, yeah. You got yeah. lots of beets. I know that. Anyway. We got lots of beets. Anyhow. So let's get into uh, some technical things with this environmental now, and, and let's go ahead and bring in this discussion of environmental portrait or not. The, 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 a scenario you just set up with taking a picture of this person out in the field, a grassy field, football field, wherever we're at. Yeah. You were talking about using a longer lens, and that doesn't really speak to this place in which they're in. So does that, if right. you're doing an environmental portrait, does that mean you go wide angle so you get a little more sense of the place where they're at? Yeah. When I, when I talk about an environmental portrait, and I, I think when 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 we talk commercially of an environmental portrait i think we're talking about a person in the environment in which they are known okay not a person in the environment right you know being out in a in a field is not the environment where i where you would recognize me as doing my thing being out in a field driving a tractor and i'm a farmer now it's an environmental portrait okay and and that makes sense because i'm doing my my thing for which I am well known. Um, and so that's, I like, I think that's what defines an environmental portrait is that something in this environment is, is characterizing the person I'm photographing. Okay. And, um, yeah. And so, and, and so I do think there's some, some difference there. 
Um, w- would you and, probably normally go for a wider angle view then, you know, because you talked about zooming in. Yeah. And, yeah and so you want to go wider angle. So you grab more of that space in which they're known in this case, a farmer or what have you. Right. The, the senior portrait, I'm trying to make flattering pictures and it's, it's a lot more difficult to make a flattering photograph. That's going to be a beautiful wall portrait with a wide angle lens. Sure. Um, okay. I don't, I don't think you should, you should definitely practice it. But, uh, if, if you're new into portraiture, don't even worry about practicing it. Practice your telephoto lens, practice your 85 millimeter and up. Okay. <laughs> because you're going to make the, you're going to get better results and make a lot more money making flattering pictures with a longer lens. Um, but when you are hired to photograph for the annual report and you need to, to photograph the teacher and students in the uh, science lab with test tubes, right. then you're going to use the wide angle lens for sure. Right. And, and you, you get to use the foreshortening and you show more of the room, but well, and, and less of that, you show more of the person and you show more of the action by using the wide angle lens. When you use the wide angle lens, you've just got to get closer to it all. Right. Because then you get to fill the frame with the action and the stuff that's very close to the camera looks way bigger than the stuff that's a little farther away. So I was just the other day uh, photographing the science teacher and the kids with test tubes. And so they're holding up the test tubes normally as they would and just looking through them. But when I bring my camera very close, that ex- exaggerates the foreshortening of of having those test tubes close to the camera sure. and they look really big and my and and I've got like one test tube in the foreground and it's filling up half the frame and I've got four people in the background and because now their heads are so much smaller they can all fit in there you know yeah and so um definitely going to use a wide angle lens but I'm also going to use a telephoto lens because it's it's a, again a flattering picture and they have, they both have their places and I'm going to shoot vertical, which I rarely do <laughs> Okay. when I'm, when I'm making portraits, most of the time I'm going to shoot in the portrait orientation, which I never use for portraits because my client who needs a annual report or a, or a magazine or a brochure, they have vertical layouts that right. they have to fill. And so I have to, I have to accommodate that. And then, so lighting for these is, is a little different as well. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about some specifics. Let's think about the longer lens. Let's think about out there in the field with that senior photo. And what do we do with the lighting? Is it still building the same way? Like you told us about that idea with the, you know, the, the more head and shoulders type shot where we're going to build the scene up or, you know, and then what do we do with the light and the position and all that stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, you build it the same way. And I would position it the same way, the the sun over the person's left shoulder and the light in front of them on their right side or or vice versa. But okay. definitely opposing typically. And maybe, you know, maybe as the sun gets lower, it's it gets better for you. It gets a little warmer okay. and it also gives you the better direction of light. Um, we like that side light like we get from a porch or a window. And so when the sun itself is down low, we get better portrait results using it. And you, and you can use the reflector easier and you can use the, combine it with the flash easier. Now, do uh, you ever put a, some type of gel on the flash to match the temperature of the sun, the color temperature of the sun? Um, you may, it's like probably not 
because unless unless there's a forest fire going on, the sun's probably not that warm. Okay. Compared and and also the the reflector on the front of the the softbox has a big white thing on the front and it's reflecting the sunlight back as well and it picks up a lot of warmth from it. Okay. But also just having that little bit of of cooler light on the front um, gives you that warmer backlight and it makes it feel more summery and okay. more warm. Yeah, I can have, see that. Having a difference in the light. Yeah. So and so, so post production, you're going for certainly making sure those skin tones feel really good. And just naturally, because you're using the flash as the, as the main source of light, you're going to make those things feel good. But then because of the natural light behind them is so much more warmer, it's just going to feel more warm. So you, you leave that relationship. You don't try and balance it out more. You just let it leave that relationship so the, so the surrounding environment feels even warmer. Is that what I'm exactly. getting? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. It's using, so I would set the white balance for daylight or for flash. If you set it to flash, it actually warms it up a little bit more, okay. and and you'll end up with that with a little extra warmth from the sun side, and and it's is very comfortable looking. Also, the the thing is to remember too that even if you're not using, even if I wasn't using a reflector or anything on the front, and I'm just using the available skylight to to light my subject's face with the sun behind them. The thing to remember is that the right white balance is shade. Yeah. Because your your subject's face is on the shady side of the world and they're being illuminated by the by the blue sky and the right. light on their face is smurfy. It is very blue. <laughs> That's and, a good way to put it. Yeah, and uh, which is great too because then it it as you as you warm up the portrait to compensate for that that blueness, you get a warmer sunshine in the background too and it just it feels really nice. Really really cinematic looking. So tell me a little bit about when we have this thing set up and you mentioned you could have an assistant right pretty much next to the person. How close are you getting that light to the person and why are you that close or should we bring the light further away? What are we looking at with the distance of the light and then also what are we looking at for the size of the light or the in this case the the umbrella that you're using that you're shooting through? How does that affect what we're doing with our our portrait out there in the field? Yeah, the the size of the light is the only important thing. <laughs> so we're we're looking for soft light, which is is the the only thing that affects the softness or hardness, the quality of the light is the size of the light in relation to your subject. And so any light, if you get it closer to your subject, is apparently larger sure. in relation to your subject, and that makes it softer. Um, you know, the sun is like three million miles across, but it's so far away from us that it's a tiny light and makes a very hard distinct shadow and what we're going for is softening the edge of that shadow and the transition from from darkness into light and using a large light does that and so i want it to be as close as possible all the time okay (laughs) that's that's my simple answer is as close as possible all the time sounds good i've got one more addition for you okay so if, if you've got this person out in the field and you're trying to have a light very close to them and I can still do this with a flash, but you should use a tripod for your portraits for a lot of reasons. But one great reason is that you can make a terrific picture with the light turned on and within your frame and then quickly move the light and make another picture with it out of the frame and blend those two together in Photoshop oh, okay. so easily. Okay. And so now you've got the great light without the 
the lighting tool in the frame. And, and maybe that gives you more feeling of that environmental portrait idea because you're getting potentially more of the, of the space in which they're in. Exactly. But exactly. we then have great light without, w- without it actually being in the frame. <laughs> right. I guess is the only way to put it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So let's transition now to talking about family photos where we're taking more than one person in the frame. And what do we need to think about as we add these additional people? For instance, I have four children. So that's six of us in total in the family. That certainly can present a challenge. So talk to me about arranging people outdoors for an effective photograph. Yeah. Um, and and one or two lights, what would you do? Yeah. So every time you think you need two lights, you're wrong. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be okay? Can I just can I say it that way? Another um, oh, opinion then, is coming about, I think. <laughs> yes, if, and then when you get to the situation where you actually need three lights, you're still wrong. Okay, <laughs> just just go by that guiding principle, and you will make better pictures. All Every right. time you add a light, you add so much complexity. If I need more light on my subjects up front, I don't add a light; I add a reflector. Okay, at at most, and or. I enlarge the size of my light, and that's okay. that's even better too. All right. Uh, if if I'm adding a light, it's only because I'm putting it inside the same umbrella so that I get more power from the one light. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's it's just so much so much complexity, and it begins to feel uh, contrived. And now now people are distracted by the light sure. because it doesn't look natural anymore. Okay. The, the sun is one light, and it reflects off of one thing. And that looks natural. And so when we go beyond that, it's it now looks like a, a commercial lighting, which may be what you're going for, but right. I have a feeling we're not. Okay. No, that's, that uh, sounds good. I, I appreciate that. So yeah. So how about, how do we arrange the people then? What are we thinking about with, you know, I imagine when you position one child next to another, what hap- you know, whatever the case is we have some type of interpretation, some type of dynamic that's going to be happening. What do we do there for, for maximizing, you know, what, what are your initial thoughts and how you interpret the family as it were, and then how to position them for a good photograph? Well, first, first is a great resource is Michelle Celentano and she's got videos and she's a, she's a Canon photographer, uh, Canon and what do they call him? ambassador thingy. Yeah. Uh, explorers of light, <laughs> explorers of light. She's, she's one of those and her whole deal is family photography and she does terrific poses and things. And, and so one, one of the things I'm looking for is not grouping everybody together. I'm looking for grouping three people together over and over again. And, and I can use the same person in two groups of three. <laughs> so that's really good. A little, a little group of three heads makes a pleasant little triangle shape okay. and it, it keeps our attention. And, and so that's what I'm doing. And I'm also trying not to have anybody directly above anybody else. So I don't want your chin to be directly above your daughter's head. Ah. Uh, so that, so that your eyes are in line. It just, it looks really static and, yeah. and it's not, it's not as good. If you, if your ear is directly over her head, that's just fine, but not directly lined up. Um, so I don't I don't want a four square of mom and dad and two kids in a in a perfect di- uh, perfect square a perfect diamond or a perfect square. Well, so a diamond is okay. Oh, where okay. now where now I've got um, 
well, and and ideally it's a little off centered still, but even even so, a diamond with with faces top and bottom and on the sides okay. is is much better than just um, two on top and two on the bottom in a in a square shape. And and would uh, you want to go to like a park where they some could be sitting on a bench or yeah for sure. What, what do we you know what do you think about for you know just wherever we are? Do they just sit on the grass or? Yeah, grass is like sitting on the grass is really good. Um, a stool is terrific if you if you take one or two stools to okay. sit on. And the the reason for that is that you know if if dad's the tallest with a bunch of little kids, then and he's standing and like if everybody's standing, then he's four feet above the kids. Okay, <laughs> and that doesn't that doesn't work well. Um, it puts too much space between faces. I want I want the faces to be close together and, and similar distance from each other. And then again, in these little threes. And, um, so maybe I've got, let's say it's a family of six and I'm, 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 I'm looking at, I'm moving my hands around to, to position everybody in my, in my picture here. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to start with mom and dad and we'll put you guys there. And often mom is a little bit shorter than dad. And that works great because, um, eyes, at the level of the mouth of the person next to them is really nice. Okay. So let's let's just say that's how tall your wife is, that her eyes line up nicely with your mouth. Or that might be something I want to go for. You can contrive, exactly. If, if, exactly. if we can sit them down somewhere or otherwise arrange them, that might be a target we might go for. Exactly. Okay. And a good way to do that too is, is often we need to lower one person and you don't you don't bend down or bend your knees. That's okay. it's just not going to work. You, you end up, looking like you're trying to use the toilet or something. <laughs> it's just not, <laughs> not flattering. Um, so instead you just open your stance Okay. and you don't, you don't say here, spread your legs because that's a rude thing to say. You say, open your stance for me and, uh, open it some more. And, and when, when people open their, their legs and spread their feet farther apart, they're now lowering their height as well. All right. And, um, they might be very, you know, really sp- spread open their legs <laughs> depending on how tall that person is. Um, but don't make them hold that while you pose everybody else. Right. See what it looks like and say, okay, stand back up for a minute and I'm going to have you do that when we, when we make the picture. All right. And so, so we've got mom and dad standing there in the middle. Another key thing is that hips and bellies keep us apart. Right. And the older we get, the more, the farther apart they keep us. Um, (laughs) and so if you actually stand away from each other and then lean your shoulders into each other, you get your heads in close without your your belly and hips keeping you apart if you if you are standing hip to hip you have to tilt your head over to the side and it looks it just looks uncomfortable yeah it just looks weird um so instead stand your feet farther from from one another and lean lean your upper bodies together interesting Uh, okay and and you know if it looks awkward it looks awkward so stand a little closer together but just play with that distance between each other and um and you'll be able to get heads close together without bodies being in the way so much um and then uh and so we can do that standing or sitting and then we'll bring in a kid and if dad is taller than mom and dad's standing on and I'm I'm just going to say everything from from camera left and right so dad's standing on my left and mom's standing on my right let's put a, a shorter kid right here standing in front of dad okay. and not right under dad's head, maybe overlapping mom. So now 
Now that's a little triangle of faces. All right. Right there. Um, and then let's bring another kid over here to the left side next to dad's shoulder. Okay. So now two kids and dad are making a, a little triangle of faces. All right. Okay. And then so mom is a little bit on the right side. And then mom's, yeah. So mom's not included in that triangle, but she's, she's sharing the triangle with the first kid okay. and dad. Okay. Okay. And then let's bring another kid in next to mom on, on the right side, on my right side. And so now we've got a triangle with mom and two kids over there. And then we've got one more kid, right? <laughs> let's bring, um, let's bring that kid in and, and taller or shorter. I'm not sure. Um, and I'm looking for balance both in, both in where people are. And so I suspect it'll probably be on, on my left side now, um, in front of the, the taller kid who's standing next to dad and, and, and maybe they're making a group out of dad and, and two kids going down to the left side of the picture now. Okay. And, uh, and then, you know, if, if mom and the kid on the far right are both wearing white shirts and everybody's wearing dark shirts, maybe I want to mix that up and have a little bit of tonal balance in the picture. So that would be, but the white shirt, I think, right. Yeah. Bracket with the white shirts or bracket with the dark shirts. Um, that kind of thing is, is definitely, you know, we're paying attention to all that, man, this is a big one. There's so much to think about, isn't there? So much to think about. Yeah. And, and so there's, but fortunately there's a lot of great examples. And like I say, Michelle Salentano has great examples of these things. I like, like we waste so much family portrait on feet and knees. Yeah. And so I want to have the like thighs up or, or even head and shoulders if I can. And, and I'll start, I'll start with, with three quarters starting at the knees okay. and up and, uh, and make that picture. Yeah, one and of our favorite else. family portraits that we've done is basically waist up. And so yeah, it's when our youngest was two years old. And so then the other one was a neighborhood of four years old and on up. And so me and the wife were holding them, but yeah. then the other kids are standing by. And that just made a really nice... Uh, it made a really nice thing. And, and what I really loved about it was the two-year-old, he's just totally off in his own world. He's got his finger poking something and he's just totally paying attention to whatever he's poking. And everyone <laughs> else is actually behaving and looking at the camera like they're supposed to. Perfect. And yeah. it just, it's just so cute <laughs> with that little two-year-old doing this thing. Oh, that's great. But yeah, finding little little tidbits of character to still shine through is is really good idea. Hopefully that can work out too. For sure. For sure. Um, and then you'll, so you'll, you'll do that knees up shot and then say now everybody crowd in really close and, and now maybe you can get just head and shoulders on everybody looking up and, and that can be a really fun picture too. Um, do it last cause you'll never get everybody back into their right. first spots. Um, and you know, we're turning hips and we're, we're putting hands in pockets and we're putting hands at the side and all these things trying to trying to make basically trying to not have stuff distracting from the faces. Okay. That's, that's the idea because all, all the while working with one light. So you're getting them yeah. tight in so you can still fit everything in with just one light, because certainly we're yeah. going to have this fall off idea where it's going to lose its effectiveness, right? The light is, is yeah. going to be it, effective more in this one area than over there. And so if we can get them tight enough together, we're going to still keep, them lit 
predominantly with that light evenly. Exactly. Exactly. And like I, I carry an eight foot umbrella okay. with my studio wow. strobe and a battery pack. Nice. Okay. And if I can do that, I can make a, a great light on there on this portrait with yeah. the sun setting behind them, you know, and maybe the sun's already down and I've got that gentle glow of the, of the sky shining on them. Um, or I can, I can just have that sun getting low and maybe I'm bracing that, that 40 by 60 white reflector, um, sitting on my toes and leaning against my belly. And it's just catching a little bit of twinkle in the eyes. That's okay. the, that's the minimum I need is twinkle in everybody's eyes, a catch light in their eyes. Mm, okay. And I can get that just from, from the horizon and, and a, and a reflector, uh, without a flash. And, so if you uh, have that twinkle that gives the special sauce, basically that makes the photograph feel just complete, I yeah. guess. We need a vitreous quality in the eyes that a looks lively. Quality. Okay. Yeah. Lively and glassy and, okay. um, makes people look like they're not dead. Wonderful. <laughs> A good, like basic, bare minimum thing. You don't look dead. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, and and I, if if you haven't, if you haven't lit a single person with a portrait, a lot. Excuse me. If you haven't lit a single person with a light, a lot of times, don't start by trying to light a family with a light. Yes. Outdoors, that it's makes, just like makes good. It's too I, much complexity. Yeah. yeah. Because now you have to deal with with kids and and trying to get everybody looking. And the key thing, like the the number one thing, is tell dad, just look at the camera, dad. Yeah. Don't worry about the kids. That's right. I'll take care of the kids. Yeah. But the best picture of the kids is always the one where dad's going, look at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> and so, just like adults, you guys just look at the camera, and I'll take care of the kids. All and right. I'm using a tripod so that I can blend faces together. It's so it's so easy. Um, I'll use a tripod and turn on the intervalometer and take a picture every second and do my antics and dance around and throw mud in my face, whatever it takes to get kids to laugh. Nice. And all the while the pictures are just going and, uh, those can be blended together so simply on the, in, in post-processing. So Sweet. just make sure dad is looking at the camera. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our listener-submitted questions. Miguel Flores asks, what's the best metering mode when the subjects are backlit? Yeah, uh, the same metering mode you use when the subjects aren't backlit. Okay, and what's that? <laughs> uh, evaluative. It's it's really not worth changing metering modes, in okay. my opinion. Yeah, okay. Um, and and I, I don't have, like, this isn't like never use a gold reflector opinion. This is like, <laughs> in my experience, you can just... Um, you could, you just use the evaluative metering and you're, you're just going to use your exposure compensation or, or change your shutter speed to make it brighter. Sure. Uh, if, if it's backlit, then you just tell the camera, this is a bright picture and it needs to be bright. And, and that would be like, like a portrait on the snow right. is, is a backlit portrait and it's coming up on snow time. So, uh, this, the camera sees all this bright white stuff. And it tries to tone it down and make gray snow, and which makes your subject too dark. So you just need to tell the camera, this is bright snow, and um, and it needs to be brighter. It's probably plus one if you're using your, your exposure compensation in aperture mode. And So if as we're building the scene, basically what you're saying is go ahead and take a look at that. Take a few sample shots. Take a look at the histogram. 
and place those tonal values where you want them, and then you add in the light. What, um, what if when you yeah, do well, that? Yeah, I guess so. If yeah, if we're if we're still talking about using light, I was I was imagining not using. Oh, not uh, using a light in this case. Okay, light. sure. Yeah. Um, and if like if we're using a flash, we're using manual mode. Okay. Because because it changes. Like yeah. if I'm using aperture mode, and I do a headshot of a subject in front of a white building or in front of the snow, and then I want to do and I and then I want to back up and use a. And, and get like a full body shot. The exposure hasn't changed at all, but now my subject is less heavy in this in the picture, right? And and is and making the picture less black, basically, right? And now the camera thinks there's something different, but and it the, wants to change the exposure. Different. Then yeah, exactly, but the exposure, the proper exposure, has not changed. So right. I want to use manual mode to make sure that nothing changes from shot to shot. And th- and that's why evaluative metering is also the best. If I use spot meet, like the only other choice is spot. There's also the the center weighted. Right. The only reason we have center weighted is because it was a technological breakthrough in the '60s to have center weighted, <laughs> and and some people started using like some people want to keep using it, but it's not a uh, it's not helpful anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I, so, I I don't personally use it, but yeah. No, no, and sp- so spot could be helpful. But then you have to make sure that your spot is on your subject all the time, right? And when you make the picture, and right. so that's not good. Um, so just use evaluative, and evaluative manual mode, and inspect your histogram. I, you know, I I gotta disagree on the histogram, Uh-oh. but that's that's okay. You know, why Some, why do you say well, that? Like, what what's your what's your reasoning my on that? It doesn't know what the subject is. Oh has, well, but you do. Right, so, so I just look at the back of the camera, and if their face is bright enough, I'm good. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, I do look for blinkies. Yeah, if, if things are blown out that shouldn't be blown out. Yeah. Sure, sure. I definitely look for the very right of the histogram. I pay attention to that. But, yeah, because so I always it, say look at the histogram because you can interpret and say, okay, well, I know that bright area or that dark area, whatever. I know that's that particular part of the subject. Sure. And I can then adjust whichever way I need to go if I need to go somewhere with the with the exposure. Yeah, and it, like again, that's this is this is my personal shooting opinion, not my gold reflector opinion. So <laughs> okay, so two more I, questions. I will, not, I will not fight you on on a histogram. Okay, it's just not my personal method. So okay, sure. Yeah. So two yeah. more questions. Uh, Josh Peterson wants to know if he can get a cool hat like me and you. So. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about your hat, but my hat is available online, but I'm not sure yes. I want to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you taking bids or? Yeah, I should. <laughs> well, it, and, the, and the key to a hat is wearing it. Absolutely. You, know, you got you to gotta own your hat. You can't, you can't be like, well, maybe I'll try a fedora. It, like you just, you can't, you can't just dabble. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie Jane, she asks, how do you make people you just met feel more comfortable and relaxed for a shoot? And what's your workflow for finding unique locations? She loves the podcast and she's thanking us for doing it. So let's focus first on the people you just met. What's your oh, icebreakers? Man. How do you make them feel relaxed? And how do you, hopefully they already respect you and they think of you as a professional photographer and they trust you're going to do well, but maybe there's those that even don't know that you're going to do well. Yeah, there's there's that that trust building and and I do it in two distinct situations. 
One thing I do is I make headshots for companies at, at big conferences. Okay. And so I've got less than five minutes per person. Yeah. And then another thing I do is I make family pictures and maybe I've met mom before. Maybe I've only talked to her on the phone, but now I've got four kids to work with as well. And, um, so in the family situation, I often, I, well, I often do one of two things, which is dumb to say, but I'll, I'll make the group picture first or I'll make the individuals first. When I make individual pictures first, um, I get to build a little relationship with each person. Yeah. And then when we do the group picture, I can play on that and build on it. If okay. I do a group picture first, I don't really expect it to be a good one. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's an icebreaker and, and it's a time to do some silly things and then I can do those silly things again when I'm doing individuals. And then having had some time doing the individual pictures, we, knew, we do another group picture and now – now we've all got some some time together. Another great thing is when when your family shows up, um, it's real easy to identify the person who's happy to be there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and and I can make a picture with that kid first. Okay. And ask for their help, and then I enlist that kid to help me make a picture of the next kids. Ah. And and now the younger ones have seen the older ones doing something cool. And I've shown them cool pictures on the back of the camera, and they like it, and they're having a fun experience. Nice. Um, See, it would I be can... exactly the opposite for my family. The The youngest boy would totally be like, yay, let's do more. <laughs> right. And the oldest yeah. be like, Arm. yeah, but and he's so, also 16. So he's got that. Exactly. You know. So that's just how it is. <laughs> but so I'll, I'll start making a picture with the, with the four year old and, and turn to the 16 year old and say, Hey, could you help me out? Would you hold this reflector over here? Nice. Yeah. And, and in employing them like that generally helps anybody feel more, you know, more welcome to be there. Also yeah, more involved. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I had an experience early in my career where the family showed up on Thursday night wearing their Sunday best and the nine-year-old falls out of the van whining and goes, well, why isn't he dressed up? <laughs> to, to, pointing to you? Yes. Pointing at me. <laughs> nice. and, you know, I was like wearing a polo shirt and khakis or something. Oh, nice. And, uh, and, and, you know, the nine year old kid had to put on a tie and, and maybe a jacket to come for this picture. Nice. So I decided right then that I wasn't going to be the less, the least well-dressed. So, so now I wear a tie every time. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm dressed for it as well so that everybody is uh, equally uncomfortable perhaps. There you go. Uh, so those are some things. And then when I'm working with, um, with professionals that I need to, to help relax real quick. I talk with them about the picture and I say, this is, this is basically what I say. I say, I was, I was thinking about this headshot for you and I suspect you probably want to, um, you probably want to look confident, but also trustworthy and like approachable. Are those good words? Yeah. And, and I, you know, read Peter Hurley's book, the, the headshot and you'll get a lot of useful things for helping people relax and, and communicate with you in a portrait. And, and they say, yeah, yeah, I'd like, I'd like those things. I say, any other, any other words that, that fit the kind of picture you think we should make right now? Um, how else would you want to describe this picture? Nice. And usually they say, no, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Approachable and confident sounds really good. I say, awesome. The, the confidence comes in the eyeballs and, and we're going to do this squinty thing and get some squinch going on. 
and then and then we soften it with the approachability with your smile and we'll we'll just work on that together and i'll give you some cues and i'll say some silly things and so we're going to work together on that um and first of all just just go ahead and look at the bottom of that light stand or look down here at my toes while i while i fiddle with my buttons on the camera so they don't have to be turned on while i'm you know they don't have to be activated while i'm still getting the the focus right and things like that so good I hope that I hope that helps. Tidbits of, of distraction, so they don't get uh, they don't get apprehensive waiting for you. Right. But also, I think when you're asking them that, I love that because just planting that seed mm-hmm. that gives them that confidence and it gives them that approachability and it gives them whatever it is that you just said there. Yeah, it gives it to them at least a little bit. And then they can certainly work on it and move forward with it. That's that's certainly a good. I like that. It's really good. Thanks. It it works really well for me. And like I'm a gregarious, big white guy, and and I smile a lot. Yes, you, you do. You don't. You, <laughs> you don't have to be me to do it this way. You can absolutely use that same sentence in your way and in, and in, in with your expressions and things. And and communicate with your your subjects, with your personality. I'm yeah. not saying you need to be me to do this. I think you can definitely adapt these things to help you do it. Now, I don't care who you are. If you put your keys on your head and and allow them to fall off, and then pick them up and say, "You are embarrassing me. Don't do that again." The kids are gonna laugh. <laughs> and, and best of all, dad is going to laugh. And then you do it again and again. And he's like, if you do that again, if you fall off my head again, there will be no ice cream after this because, <laughs> you know, the kids already know that's true. Yes. <laughs> so um, if you like kids love to see somebody else getting punished, that's why like Looney Tunes is so popular. Um, <laughs> Good point. And, and you can use tricks like that no matter who you are. And nice. even if they don't fit your personality naturally, it doesn't matter. You're after a laugh, and that thing gets a laugh. Like slapstick always works, cool. and you can fake that no matter who you are. <laughs> and, and that's why Kramer is so popular with, from the Seinfeld. That's right. That's I mean, it. My exactly. goodness. <laughs> anyway, let's let's wrap this up. We've got some doodads and a few reminders to talk about. And um, I'll lead off with my doodad really quick. It is another book. Last week I did a book, and this is another book, uh, Zen Camera by David Oldrich, and I've got a link in the show notes there. And it's really about just slowing down and finding and identifying what's important to you and your photography, but it's also an exercise in just the act of seeing. And I really liked how he started the book where we're just saying, you know, we kind of, as we grow up, we kind of learn or we, we, we lose the ability to see and we need to relearn that technique of seeing in our vision and the like. And and it's um, so far, it's a good read. I'm not done with it yet, but I'm just starting it and it's pretty good read. So recommend Zen Camera by David Ulrich. Oh, that sounds terrific. So how about your doodads, Levi? It looks like you've got two of them here. I got two that are the same thing, but uh, different cameras need a different one. So the spider holster hand straps are marvelous, especially when you're doing environmental pictures and you're, you're holding your camera and you're hopefully putting it on your hip in your spider holster as well. Um, the hand strap goes, well, it goes around your hand, Okay, <laughs> which sounds super simple, but it takes the weight off of your fingers when you're just holding your camera. 
and allows you to to manipulate it really well and and still work all your buttons and it's got it's got stiffness to it it's not like most of the other hand straps i've ever seen that are just kind of floppy and they're actually really hard to get into and then they're hard to move your knuckles so you can use your buttons and things the spider holster hand straps have form and they allow you to to slide your hand in like a like a hand guard on a fencing foil and uh cool and allow you to also kind of dangle the camera a little bit without holding it tightly with your fingers all the time and i find that i'm less fatigued using it nice. um and it, it just makes it my camera so handy okay. all the time as well um and so there's a you want the spider pro if you've got a a big dslr like a a full frame camera probably and then the spider light you can probably use for for crop sensors or and and all mirrorless cameras and they've got a new one coming out that might be replacing both i'm not i'm not sure what the what the difference is um but i I love the spider pro hand straps and the spider light hand straps for the cameras and if you use photo levi as a discount code photo levi all one word i think you get 15 or 20 percent off um but they also have some black friday deals coming up that might be better than that so give that a try cool and they've got so many nice color options too it's not just black that they have that's right I'm so sick of black stuff. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Whether it's just a little bit of a, um, on this, on the light one, that's a little bit of a, uh, accent trim and on the big ones, it's full on different colors. So cool. Yeah. And they're leather and they have memory foam and they're really very comfortable. I've been using them for three or four years. I really like it. Sweet. All right. Yes. The photo, the photo Levi code, it, it is accepted and it's $8 off the $40 price for the spider light, Ooh. spider light hand strap. So yeah. What's that like 20% or yeah. So that's about 20%. So cool. Um, all right. So it's a couple of reminders for you guys. Masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. That's where we put the show notes and the like. And of course, we have the Facebook group that you can ask to be a part of. We do need you to answer one question. That is a host or a recent guest of the show. And so Levi would certainly work. And you could even say photo Levi. And uh, then for my stuff, you can find me mostly at my home base online, which is my website, just my name, brentbergkerm.com. Although I am going to tease you just a little bit, I am working on something big that is going to uh, hopefully be able to be announced right after Thanksgiving, but it might have to wait till Christmas. I've got a lot of logistics to work on, so I'm looking at something big for 2020. And then you can find my other podcast, latitudephotographypodcast.com for travel and landscape. And then you can find me on Instagram, YouTube. And then I've also got a little link in the show notes for my online printing course about making your images into nice fine art gallery quality prints. Levi, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me at levisim.com. But um, you might have more fun finding me on Instagram at photo Levi, at outdoors Levi. And also, I write for photofocus.com several times a week. Yeah. And uh, we just publish educational articles every day for the last 21 years. In fact, yeah, we just had our 21st birthday nice. last week. So Nice. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Levi. Really appreciate you taking us through this idea of outdoor portraits. Thanks for having me. It was yeah. really fun. I hope, I hope it was helpful. It's, uh, a, it's a big topic. but It is. It's fun. Yes. It's, it's really enjoyable to do. Very cool. And everyone, thanks so much for being here. And we will see you again in another seven days. <laughs>